Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited to look at our our numbers of listeners, Dave. I mean, this is just... I'm not going to obsess over it because it's fine. You know I I just actually... A lot of times I do this and I feel like nobody's listening. No. See, I'm encouraged to see... Because when we did the radio show, I used to joke about nobody was listening, but I was joking. Well, okay. Because people were listening. But see, here's the dynamic that's different between a radio show and a podcast. Radio show, you get in the car, the radio's already on, you hear Dave and Steve. The podcast, you've got to you know, take a little bit of effort and actually click on something to be able to listen. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic. But I got to say, last last one came out two days ago, 24 people have listened. Yes, I think we're so building like we're building an audience, and that one just came out. Right. So this is good, and we haven't even tried yet. And You know what? Whatever. We have fun doing them. So. I do like doing them. Gosh, it's a piece of cake. We sit here in the office and talk about what we normally talk about. Um, before we start with our Redskin pick, All right. and we'll get to our financial planning topic. So as usual... Uh, both of us were dead wrong. Right. We're, what was a dead wrong? Dead <laughs> no, wrong means right. you get blown out. We were almost right. Right. It's just that the Redskin defense couldn't hold. Yep. And quite frankly, when you look at the result of that, it's more about mistakes you made along the way. We were better than Detroit. It's frustrating. But you know what? I watched it. I knew that at the end when we lost, these things are bound to happen. And we're still 4-3. and three. So right. now we play... Cincinnati in London. If you're listening to this, the game already happened. So, because by the time weird, this thing gets a... Very weird dynamic, though, having a, a game at 9.30 in the morning. I think I it's mean, great. I mean, any of the other London games, I haven't really paid attention to. So, this is going to be the first one where I really got to watch the game at 9.30 you know in the morning. we used to do back in the day that your generation didn't do? Steve is 37, I'm 54. We used to watch Wimbledon. All the everybody watched Wimbledon at sure. night. The back in the well, days of Jimmy was... Connors and Bjorn Borg, right? And, and that it was Wimbledon was huge. So that was something. And then for those, then there's many of you who do not do this, but I do it for the British Open. <laughs> That's right. I watched the British Open early too. Now don't so, tell me you get up at like three in the morning. No, to watch. <laughs> of course not. But I I know that that final round is starting on right. TV around nine o'clock or nine thirty. So I watch the British Open. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm used to a little bit of this kind of thing. I think it's great. You have the rest of your day after it to not watch the Redskin game. No, it is good. Um, I really think we're going to win. I think we're going to acclimate better to London. 
I think we're a better acclimate to London team. Okay. That's one of Kirk your strange story is taking now. He's like going to sleep early. Okay. I doubt Andy Dalton's going to sleep early. Well, what do you have against Andy Dalton? I mean, maybe he's The fact that he's not trying, not going to sleep at seven at night, getting ready for this game. All right. Also, Kirk Cousins already visited London over the summer. I remember seeing something about that. So great. So he doesn't even care about sightseeing. He's just focusing on the game. All right. So I think Kirk Cousins will have a really good game. And I'm going to pick us in a very another one of these close battles. You never let's say uh, Redskins 27, uh, Cincinnati 24. I think we'll win this time in a close game. All right. Well, I was, you know, I, sometimes I try to wait until you pick and I pick against you. But I was going to pick Cincinnati no matter what because um, I don't know what the deal with Josh Norman is if he's you know conscious at this point or not or concussion and I think their wide receivers are going to go crazy on us and I don't think it's going to be that close I think it's going to be wow. 31-17 Bengals mm. I okay. hope I'm wrong I really do but you know we'll wait and see now, I want to beat you this year so I also hope Well I'm you wrong. are up one game on me so Ooh, far so Okay all right cool now, let's transition to talking about something that actually matters. Not that the Redskins don't matter, but our picks don't really matter there. And what, what Dave and I both thought would be really good to talk about this week, I saw this come out last week, and it came out um, as a research report. Very detailed, a lot of statistics and analytics involved. Um, but recently I've seen a lot of the personal finance sites picking this up and condensing it down. And the, the title of this article was the next 10 years are going to be ugly for your 401k. Yes. Yeah. And I've what- seen it all over the place in the financial, you all might not look at this stuff, but this is yeah, if you- all over. If you troll CNBC or money.com or Bloomberg or whatever, you know, it's all over there. And what this research report says, and like I said, this comes out of a firm called Research Affiliates. They're an asset manager. And what it says is that over the next 10 years, the odds are slim to none. (laughs) In fact, statistically, they put it at zero that you're going to achieve a 5% real rate of return in a balanced portfolio. Right. What does real rate of return mean? So, yeah. So, let's break this down. So, when they talk about real rate of return, they're talking about after inflation has been factored in. Now, I would say that most people don't think in terms of a real rate of return, right? Most people think in terms of, I had $100 last year. I've got $106 this year. That was a 6% rate of return. Right? Most people don't think in terms of, I've got 106, but inflation was running at 2%, so it's really only 104. So I guess I would start with interjecting that most people don't think in terms of a real rate of return. Here's how I think most people think. They see that and they think, wow, the stock market's not going to make any money over the next 10 years. I'm going to go into cash and then I'll see what's going on in 2026. <laughs> That's how I think most people the lay people read something like that. Uh, I would sort of agree because I, I feel like some people's reaction when they see something like this or when you see these numbers that tell you you've got to save you know $1,000 every two weeks for retirement, mm-hmm. I feel like some people just say, you know what, it's not possible. 
So I'm just not even going to bother. Right. But back to the real rate return. So in other words, okay. we're factoring in inflation, and maybe these people are predicting so that there'll be some inflation. They're expecting 1.6% inflation. Um, so that would be a 6 per, 6.6% right. nominal rate of return. Right. So in the notion of what the what most people consumer would, or regular investor would be thinking about, they're right. basically saying there's no way you're going to get a 6.6 rate of return right. on your investments. Now, I, I honestly didn't find – I found the headlines and some of the, the graphs that they put together kind of sensational just because of the way the data was presented. But I don't think this is drastically different than what a lot of people have been saying for quite a while, which is this idea that traditionally in stocks you could get a rate of return of 9 or 10%. In bonds, you could get a rate of return of 5 or 6%. Put that together in a nice balanced portfolio, you could get you know, 7 8% rate of return. Most people have been saying for a while, that's just not realistic. And I, I think this study kind of quantified how, how unrealistic it is. Right. Because if we break that down and we think about it, let's take the bonds, which is the easy part of it. Let me say that again. Historically, bonds have gotten 5 to 6% rate of return. That is mathematically <laughs> impossible unless interest rates go negative. And this is part of what these people are factoring yeah. into the equation, no doubt about it. Sure. So if you're going to have a balanced portfolio with 40% of the money in bonds and your bonds are getting 2% rate of return, if that, that's going to really hamper the overall average. Take the stock side of the equation, and the argument is that we're certainly in a lower growth mode than we have been, You know, with GDP running at maybe 1%, maybe a little bit more than that. And demographically, in a lot of the developed countries, the US and Europe and Japan, you've got uh, changing demographics and slowing birth rates and all those kind of things. So you take this all together and you say, yeah, that sort of makes sense that you're not going to have these easy average rates of return of 7 8% like you might have had in the past there. Now, what we always try to do is we see something like this and we say, great, this is the world that we're living in. What can we really do about it? And in particular, this one Bloomberg article, you know, interjected a few thoughts in here talking about, well, instead of investing in treasury securities, you could take some of that money and put it in emerging markets currencies. Wow, those are two different risk tolerance categories. Yeah, that would be the thing that jumped out at me. And of course, they put in some note in there saying, well, this could increase volatility. That's almost like saying, That's, well, instead of uh, you know putting money in a savings account, you could put it on the Redskins against Cincinnati <laughs> yeah. or vice versa based on who you like better, Dave or Steve's <laughs> prediction. Those are really two... Uh, that's 180 degrees there. Well, yeah. and and But unfortunately, that's – and you might look at that and say, well, pff, that's ridiculous. Obviously, you know, you had the same reaction that Dave did. I'm not going to do that. Well, maybe you don't go from treasuries into emerging markets, but maybe you try to move up that credit scale a little bit on the bond side of things. So going from treasuries to AAA rated corporate bonds or from AAA to AA or single A, um, you've got to understand you know, what the risks are there. But 
you also have to look at the reality of things and say, hey, if I don't get a certain rate of return, I, you know, retirement's just not a possibility. Um, but this is why, you know, whenever we run retirement projections, we want to base things off of really lousy rates of return. You know, a lot of people will say, hey, let's base this off of an average rate of return or even average minus 1% or minus 2%. And they think that they're being conservative doing that. But really what we want to look at is give me all the historical data, you know, all the returns out there that have happened, and let's look at that bottom 10%, right? the worst 10%. And if we can make your plan work under that scenario – then we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Use the baseline. Basically, we've always, what these people are saying, we're assuming, hopefully we're wrong by taking the bottom 10th percentile of returns, you know, and projecting out 10 or 15 years of that. But if that turns out to be the case and your plan can withhold that and you could be okay, in other words, enough to live on monthly and still have some money, well, then anything better than that is like gravy. That's like cherry on the sundae. Absolutely. Now, I mean, we always step back even from the individual investments and the way that you invest to what is the monthly income that you know you have coming in month in and month out. Because for those of us, I shouldn't say those of us because I don't have this, Dave doesn't have this, but for those of you out there that have that pension coming in, where you know that in retirement you're getting 7000 a month, 8000 a month. That's different pressure on your portfolio, much less pressure than someone who doesn't have that pension. Right. And is simply relying on their assets to try to, you know, right. produce these rates of return. And when you when you emotionally try to deal with this, let's say you're in the category of not having the pension. So you have a limited amount of money coming in in retirement, let's say Social Security. You're relying on your assets. You haven't really done any planning, let's just say. And then you have what, you know, is we've had in cycles, and we always expect to have a, uh, a bear market, a dip in the stock market. How about a year to two years of a gross return of negative 25%, <laughs> which is something that we could probably expect statistically for sure. Yeah. During your retirement. And now when that happens and you don't have the say, well, at least I got my pension so I could just not just I'm just going to not open my statements. Right. When you don't have that luxury and you haven't done any planning, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be probably panicking. You might be selling good stocks that would eventually come back because Mm -hmm. you're just worried and maybe for for worried for the right reason. When you start to look at long term doing stuff like that, you start to see that you can't achieve any kind of results by sitting on the sidelines in cash. I mean, you could receive the results of not losing money immediately, certainly. But when that happens, uh, what's your long-term perspective? Yeah, I mean, that's the risk of holding too much cash and just losing out to inflation yeah, I think and that, and that's. I find that to be the biggest, the most emotionally challenging thing for anybody doing retirement. And when I say doing, I I mean the the person who's trying to retire. I'm not talking about the advisors who are supposed to set up something or try to set up something to avoid this emotion. I mean, this is happening. Oh yeah. Um, and you don't know when that bottom's going to come, 
and you need to live on this money, so you pull it out of your of these volatile, more volatile investments, and you're on the sideline, not knowing when to come back in in a, in a scared position. And when that happens, I think I'm not going to say the retirement plan is blown up, but you are in a very disadvantageous position, which is really the whole point of doing this planning. Yep. Uh, we got a couple minutes left, Dave. I know you, you uh, wanted to touch on November being Long-Term Care Awareness Month. I do. And it's going pretty well because nobody's aware that November <laughs> is Long-Term Care Awareness Month. Well, I so mean, I will give the Long-Term Care Awareness Community kudos for not really doing a good job. Well, come on. I mean, every month there's like Life Insurance Awareness Month. You think anybody knows about that? I mean... Any of these months, it's I don't know right. how. How do you get that designated? Do you have to pay for that, or do you just I have you no just say idea. it? I just, just go out there and say it. that it was that November no, was Long Term Care yeah. Awareness Month, right? Um, a couple thoughts about that. A, it's pretty scary that there is a month called Long Term Care Awareness Month because that means by the nature of the name of the month, there's a lot of people in long term care. Right. The other reason you know that is when you drive around an urban area like Washington, D.C., you see assisted living places all over the place Mm -hmm. and some nursing homes. Um, And if you're my age, you're 54 years old, you may have a parent in long-term care because they're in their 80s. And this is a normal thing now as people are living longer and longer. But what's not good about that is that it is just as much of a problem as the last topic we had. We think we have a good plan. We did all the planning. We created our assets to give us enough money to come in every month. But now what's happened is one of us, if it's a couple or just a single person, you're in long-term care. You're in assisted living. You're in the place my mother-in-law is in, Kensington Park. It costs what it's costing my mother-in-law for Alzheimer's care there this year, which is ten thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You have a, a plan that's getting you through your careful planning, six thousand dollars a month. That's for all living expenses. Right. The ten thousand dollars. Wow. What about all the rest of the living expenses a month? And then you see because you read the flyers of Long-Term Care Awareness Month that the average woman. Who needs long-term care? If you're, by the way, if you make it to 65, you have a 73 percent chance of needing long-term care services. The average woman is around five years. The average man is about three and a half, four years of care. Average woman is actually about five and a half years. When you combine home care, assisted living, and nursing care, right? And you say to yourself, "Wow, thanks, Dave. I'm aware now." <laughs> well, I, I I feel like I'm aware most that this people, could really blow up my retirement plan, and it's yeah. not the, just the stock market going down. Yeah, I mean, most people are aware that it's a problem. Uh, how they choose to deal with it is where people will differ greatly. Um, some people will say, uh, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. Just shoot me, right? Some people will say, my kids will do it. I took care of them. They can take care of me. Some people will say, my spouse will do it, right? Um, <laughs> I could have a good rebuttal for each one of those. Yeah, um, most people who say the things about spouses doing it and kids doing it have never had someone uh, who's had to deal with it. Right. Some people have done it, but most people will bring in a, a home care vi- a person, and that's not cheap, but more likely, there's a reason why people go to assisted living, and it's because of the 
of the incredible job it is to take care of someone who can't take care of themselves and often can't physically take care of anything that's going on with them and can't communicate at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, my point is always that, you know, you say your kids are going to take care of you. Um, you say your spouse is going to take care of you. I think they will. I don't know them, but I, I think they'll stand by you and they will do as best they can. But it gets to a point where they can't do it, where it's too hard. It's too emotionally draining. It's too, too much. Um, and that's where you really should have a plan for how you're going to pay for that care and not have the rest of your assets wiped out. That's yeah. it. Doesn't have to be too complicated, but nope. that's it. I think we've done our part for long-term care awareness. I think we've done more than virtually anybody, and certainly in the podcast world we have. <laughs> in the podcast world, we're killing it. <laughs> long-term care awareness month. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys next week.